Welcome to Sound Thoughts on Art, a podcast from the National Gallery of Art. I'm your host, Celeste Headley. Art can engage all of our senses. We hear music, we see a photo, we walk around a sculpture, we taste fine food. Standing close to a favorite painting, we can even smell the wood or oil paint. But it's when our senses work together that things get really interesting. When we listen, what do we see in our mind's eye? When we stand in front of a painting, what do we hear? This podcast lives in that convergence. In every episode, you'll learn about a work in the National Gallery's collection from someone who knows the art and its context. You'll also hear a musician respond to that work through sound, creating a dialogue between the visual art and music. Sound Thoughts on Art tells the stories of how we experience art and how it connects us. When you interact with a piece of art, not just glance at it as you stroll by, but really see it, you participate in that piece. At its best, visual art is not just an image, but an experience that's unique to the viewer. And that's true of all art forms. So what you hear in a piece of music or perceive in a painting is very much specific to you, your experiences, your tastes, your mood your experience might be very different from what the artist intended. So what happens when a piece of art forces you to experience it in a specific way? That's the question posed by James Turrell's New Light, the piece we'll focus on during this episode. It's a work that plays with light, with time, and even with the inner workings of your eyes. It forces you to slow down as you take it in. That passive interactivity appealed to Rafik Bhatia. He was lucky enough to see new light, and the experience struck such a resonant chord with him, he was inspired to write music. So what drew you to this piece? I think there's so much to unpack in James Turrell's work and in pieces like this. Um, But above all else, it is this recontextualization of a medium or a substance being light that we think of as this sort of continuous, unbounded stuff of the ether. And um, the way that it is bottled and um, sort of distilled or bounded into a form that we can experience, you know, almost like a snapshot of itself or almost like being able to slow it down or come closer to it or have a more intimate sort of relationship to it. And um, that's something that is very inspiring to me um, as somebody who tends to work uh, or be preoccupied with more ephemeral aspects of sound and, um, you know, almost these kinds of like transient moments, fleeting moments in sound that call attention to the human beings that are creating it and the experience that those people are having. And as somebody who tries to to kind of find ways to capture that stuff and work with it, that stuff can feel almost impossible to take out of the context of the moment sometimes. You know, like um, as an improviser um, and as somebody who's interested in improvisation, the whole beauty of that practice, or a, a central part of it anyway, for me is to be able to create something that feels like it speaks directly to a particular moment in time. 
For more on James Terrell's unique installation and artistic statements, we turn to Molly Donovan, the National Gallery's Curator of Contemporary Art. When this work was installed back in the early aughts, soon after we acquired it as a gift from the artist, it was a major destination for people um, because Terrell's work is um, uses light as the medium. The, you know, he uses light as medium the way other artists use paint. And so you would walk into the room um, and where just this work is installed and you would stay a long time because at first when you walk into a fairly darkened room, your eyes take time to adjust. And over time, though, you begin to see this this red rectangle on the other end of the room, just a red rectangle of light. And um, it, it you think it's projected onto the opposite wall. But then you walk up to it slowly because you're not sure what you're walking towards. Um, and eventually the magic is revealed and you, you recognize that the light is created from recessed light sources that are projected onto the walls inside an, an aperture or a room within the room that you're standing in. And it's, it's quite wonderful. Does it give the impression of, a, of an optical illusion? There is an illusionistic quality to the work. You do think that it is a projected light or a neon light hanging on a wall. And then the other illusion is that as you're walking towards it from one side of the room towards the aperture, the red rectangle, of course, starts to envelop your field of vision. So you feel like you're walking towards a space. And that is very illusionistic um, and and very uh, perceptually powerful as an experience. So that sense of anticipation, I definitely recognize in the music that you chose. Was this music at least partially inspired um, by Terrell? Yes, uh, quite a bit of it was um, formulated at a time that I was I was thinking about Terrell's work and about pieces like this one. Um, and this hue of red was um, one of the colors that I kept coming back to, but there's also a, a very bright pink that is used in some of his work that has a similar effect on me. Um, and it's one of the things that I'm really interested in in the music, uh, which all comes from an album that I put out in 2018 called Breaking English, um, is this sort of um, effect of distance and perspective um, and the subjectivity of the experience that distance can create. Um, you know, with light, what can warm and comfort us at a distance can be searing up close. You know, and what is illuminating from afar um, as you, you draw nearer to it can be blinding. And that is something that I love about these pieces is that it feels as though you can both 
be warmed and comforted by them and you can be overwhelmed by them. And it, it allows for both kinds of experiences simultaneously, it feels like. It occurs to me that we so often ascribe emotions to colors in the same way that we ascribe emotions to different musical keys or tones, right? People, the stereotype of a minor key as opposed to a major key, which is supposedly happy, is that the minor key is sad. And 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 it's, it's always, um, there's always a bit of surprise when people subvert that. And I, and I feel the same way about red, that you could see this as stereotypically assertive or angry. And yet I wonder what you see in the red he has chosen. What I see is something that feels almost like pre-perception. You know, it's um, like the way that if I stare at a light that's bright and I close my eyes, I see a red after image. You know, it's, it's this kind of... Um, it almost feels like I'm encountering this state of my consciousness that's pre-retinal or something. You know, it's like pre the level at which my eyes are, are giving me more elaborate information to go on. And that's one of the things that I love about this is that it it's so monolithic, as I said before, and it's so stark. And it, it pushes me into a place where I feel like I'm forced to contend with what else is in the room you know and that includes myself as the viewer you know and i'm i'm forced to look further inside myself uh for answers I wonder what kind of red you would call this. You know, I mean, they have all kinds of imaginative names for reds when you're looking at a lipstick, right? What kind of red <laughs> What kind of red is this? It's hard to describe the color of light that this red represents. Maybe it's stoplight red. I'm trying to think of a red light you know, that relates to this color. It's maybe a little warmer. The depth of red, I can't quite equate it with another, you know, with a, put a name on it, but maybe stoplight red. It's interesting you say stoplight red because I, having never seen this piece installed, but the way you describe it and others describe it, it requires you to stop, right? And and wait and and allow it to sort of unfold do you think that's accurate? Yeah, but I don't think that's a metaphor. I don't think the color is a metaphor um, for the, the effect of the work. And, and of course, they, the, these aperture works used blues, greens, magentas. Um, this one happens to be red. He has his palette, as it were. It's not a cautionary red um, in that way. Why do you think he wanted us to reconsider light. What was he trying to tell us by forcing us to sort of see light itself as as artistic, as, as beautiful? What Terrell does in this work by choosing light as his, and, and many of his works, by choosing light as his 
primary material. He's, he's really expanding our understanding of what art can be and to include light, to put light into the toolbox of artists. And he's also in these works making art an experience. And I think that's a big part of his practice. It's, he calls it non-vicarious work or experiences that one has to experience the work in person. You can't convey it to another person. You can't reproduce it very easily, uh, even. And I think those two things really set him apart. I wonder what you, how you feel about this difference of approach to art, that in one case you do all your preparation and then you go and do the performance and it comes out as it comes out with the spontaneity and James Terrell's approach, which is so careful. Well, I think in my work, I'm often trying to reconcile both of those instincts because I come from a background of, um, you know, dealing more in things like improvisation, but I'm also fascinated with the tools and capabilities that recording sound gives somebody who's making music. You know, um, the idea that if you capture a recording of something that's fleeting or speaking to a particular moment, that you're in essence like able to bottle some of the characteristics of that moment in time and offer the listener a perspective on that um, through working with it and shaping it. It's almost kind of like a sculptural approach to dealing with these sound ingredients. And so in the analogy to Terrell's work, I think, you know, light itself is this this uh, ephemeral sort of fleeting substance and then finding these really elaborate ways to contain it and present it in such a way that plays with the perception of the viewer and um, changes the viewer's experience of the space around them and things like this is something that that speaks to me and appeals to me very much. I wonder if you'd go a little further or deeper into the word ephemeral, especially when it comes to James Terrell's work. I've always interpreted ephemeral as referring to time, a space of time, something that doesn't last very long. And and I wonder how you see that, literally see that, quality in this piece by Terrell. Well, I, I'm not sure that I'm seeing ephemerality so much as I'm seeing uh, this relationship to it that I'm talking about, where you're able to, to sort of take something that ordinarily would be fleeting and slow it down to a level that you can um, sit with it, you know, and light is something that we tend to have a very fleeting relationship to because it moves so fast, you know? Yeah. Um, and here we are sitting there looking at something that we could never grasp ordinarily, you know, a uh, framing that almost feels two-dimensional and still, you know? And it really allows us to sort of be overcome by this this substance and also to vary our our variety of experience with it. Like we can walk 
close to it, we can get far away from it, but we sort of still see it in this almost like undeniable monolithic way. It's interesting to me that um, James, so many of his pieces incorporate the viewer as part of the art that where you're standing, your height even changes what you see. And, and I wonder what you think about that um, for an artist to then make part of the impact of their work uh, dependent on the viewer. It's really one of the most remarkable aspects of Terrell's work that he incorporates the individual retina of the viewer and the and then the the connection to the viewer's brain and the processing and I think it's very interesting that he he focused in his undergraduate studies on perceptual psychology he was clearly very interested in this very very issue how the retina receives information and how that gets transmitted over time in the brain of the individual person and that's a that's a major contribution to the history of art. So in returning to this this music that you um, I mean, this album came out in 2018, which I assume meant that you'd been working on it for the years before that. Um, and you ha- you returned to it. And what did you hear when you went back to this music? Anything that surprised you? Well, I mean, mostly I heard how much more work I have to do. <laughs> um, you know, it's a it's a never ending process and going back and listening to my older work is um is always it's tough uh, right <laughs> oh yeah i mean it's just i hear all the things i wish i'd done differently and whatnot but yeah. you know it's also this album is a very deeply personal album for me and um you know i mean if i'm being totally honest i think just as much as that music is drawing on artists like James Terrell, it's also about what is not yet represented in the collections of major galleries. You know, like I I grew up going to art museums with my family and oftentimes what I was exposed to when contemporary work was on display, the artists were overwhelmingly white and also overwhelmingly male. And um, I think that's actually a big part of what's happening here in this music is it's an attempt for me to try to articulate some sense of my own uh, experience in a world where in my formative years, I felt like I didn't really get to encounter that very much in these spaces, you know, and maybe that is actually a part of what drew me towards the abstraction that you find and the lack of overt symbology that you find in the work of people like James Terrell, because it leaves open the possibility for me to find my own meaning and resonance within that kind of a space. I I wonder, I mean, the first concern I had was I didn't want anyone to think we were trying to make a soundtrack for a piece of art. And I wonder how, how do you avoid the natural, I mean, how do you work your way around the natural human tendency 
to create stories <laughs> out of everything that we we put together, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose that there is this kind of tendency to want to tie things neatly um, up all together. And to me, I think it's important to acknowledge that inspiration or influence does not necessarily constitute a relationship. And certainly that's been the case for me. A lot of the musicians and artists and folks who um, I've drawn inspiration from are people who might not actually like what I did with that inspiration, you know, um, or resonate with what I did or feel great about, you know, how their work might have shaped what I'm doing. And I think that that's good, you know, um, and and so it's it's not necessarily that, you know, I can only imagine that I would be very honored to meet James Terrell, but I also have no idea how he would feel about the sounds that I've made that his work, um, you know, was an inspiration for in certain ways. Here's Hoods Up by Rafiq Bhatia, uninterrupted.
Thanks once again to Rafiq Bhatia for joining us. You can learn more about him and James Terrell at our website, nga.gov slash podcast. Right now, you're listening to a movement from Natalie Joachin's Suite Poudantin. Natalie will join us on our next episode to discuss her Haitian musical heritage and the Carrie Mae Weems photograph that reminds her of a past trip to her home island. Sound Thoughts on Art is a production of the National Gallery of Art's Music Department. The show is created by Danielle Deswert-Hahn, the National Gallery's Head of Music Programs, and mixed and produced by Maura Curry. You can find more information about everything in today's episode at the National Gallery's website, nga.gov podcast. If you enjoyed this episode of Sound Thoughts on Art, we would love for you to subscribe. Also, leave us a review wherever you're listening. I'm Celeste Headley. Until next time, be well. <laughs>